I hope you are uh, still in Matthew chapter 27, which I think was on page 705. We're not going to read the text again, but we are going to do some things uh, with that for sure. Let me, before I get into this any further, let me just mention, um, I got a call this week from um, Colin and Kara, and Kara's mom is in the hospital not doing well. Many of you know Donna Holgren, and uh, she has... Uh, she's had some seizures and has some stroke-like symptoms, but they don't know exactly what's going on. So she's in the hospital, and we really would like you to be praying about Donna Holgren. Also, we just learned, uh, I just found out this morning, that Gary Zorn's brother passed away suddenly yesterday. Uh, apparently he'd gone in for some back, I, I, I don't know the details on this, but apparently he'd gone in for uh, back surgery, and uh, seemed like he was doing fine, and the nurse went into his room, uh, and he had passed away. So that was pretty sudden, and we need to be thinking about Gary and, and his family as well. We have been looking at uh, God's redemptive story for quite some time here. And this morning we come to what I would consider kind of a climactic moment. In fact, if you think about it, it's the climactic moment of all of human history. The story of the crucifixion. This moment when God has finally accomplished what it is that he has intended for so long to, to, uh, to accomplish. And so there's this incredible story, really, the height of the story. And we all find when we get there that things don't turn out exactly as one might have anticipated. Like if you were a person who just picked up your Bible and you started reading from the beginning and you read through Genesis and you read through Exodus, and then you get to Leviticus, what do you do? Stop reading. <laughs> Everybody does. But let's say that you keep reading, okay? Let's say that you read on through Leviticus, and you just kept on going, and you get to the point where you start to read the New Testament, and even through the Gospel... The Gospel of Matthew being the first one, you get through the Gospel of Matthew, and as you're reading along, you can see the story building, and you've got to be thinking, God is going to do something incredible. Like, he has planned for this. This is amazing. This is great stuff. But if you don't know the end of the story, it must come as an amazing shock. Just the way it did to the disciples. This they had not anticipated. For Messiah to suddenly be, in a matter of days, arrested and crucified is incredible. Amazing. And it's ironic that God orchestrates such a story. It looks like triumph should be the ultimate end here. Now, we do know the rest of the story, and we know that Ultimately, there is triumph. But just reading this, if you were to just get to the crucifixion, what if the rest of the pages were gone? And you just got there and you read the crucifixion. You'd go, oh, what? After all this? And this good God, who looked like he was doing something for humankind that was so wonderful, we suddenly see a crucifixion coming at the end? Wouldn't you be thinking to yourself, and they killed him? Well, the end of Christ's life on earth looks horribly out of place. And yet the fact is 
It's so perfect. It is exactly what we needed, of course. And when you add on the resurrection in the coming days, it ends up being exactly the perfect story. And one of the reasons that it's so perfect is because of the irony that is there throughout this story. Now, what I want to do, we'll see if this works for you this morning. I'm just going to go through and talk about the ironies. And what I want you to do is start with verse 11 and see if you can track where it is that I'm getting the ironies that I see here. Okay? See if you can follow me and see if you see the ironies that I see. And you may see more. And I would love it if at the end of the service you came up and said, you know what, Kelly, you missed one or two or five. That would be cool. Okay? Thanks for the lights. Perfect. Here's some some ironies that I see. You tell me if you don't see these. The one who is the word of God, look at verse 11, the one who is the word of God and who gave humankind the faculty of speech. He is the word of God and he gives humankind the ability to speak. And at the end, he's silent when he's interrogated. He could speak the world into existence and here in protection of himself, he chooses to be silent. Pilate almost instantly begins to mock him. He mocks him as the king of the Jews. And of course, he was the king of the Jews. He's the ultimate king of the Jews. He's the Messiah. He is the king of the world. And Messiah is mocked as the king of the Jews. Instead of Jesus being released, there is a prisoner that's released. And Jesus, through not being released ends up doing what for humankind? Freeing them. Releasing them. And so a thief is released, Jesus is not released, and then through him being released, we end up being released and receive our freedom because of his death. Pilate, the text specifically says, sits on a judge's seat. And what does the judge judge? The judge judges the greatest judge of all. The one who is ultimately the judge of all of humankind. And one who would one day judge Pilate. And he ends up being judged himself. His own people, whom he came to save, were his chief accusers. So he comes to save them, and while he's saving them, they're screaming for his crucifixion. The only totally innocent man who was condemned as sinful then bears the sins of all. And so he's totally innocent, is then accused of being sinful, and then bears the sins of all. Pilate declared himself innocent of Jesus' blood, the text says, washes his hands, But it's his sin and that of all others that actually make him guilty. And so he declares himself innocent but is ultimately guilty. The people shout, and listen to this, the people shout, let his blood be on us and on our children. And it was. But in a completely different way than what they thought as his blood sets them free. The true king was in mockery, given a robe. 
He's given a crown of thorns and a staff. He needed none of these. And yet is absolutely the true king. On the cross, they put a sign, a mocking sign saying, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. And of course, they had absolutely no idea just how right they were. The perfect one who knew no sin is crucified with robbers, rebels, our text said when I read it today, as a criminal. He's the perfect one who knows no sin and is crucified with criminals as a criminal and then sets the criminals free. He was mocked, as the text says, for saying that he would destroy the temple and raise it up in three days, which is, of course, exactly what he does, except he does it in the temple of his body. And so they mocked him for that, thinking he could never do this. And that's exactly what he's doing. The creator of the universe was mocked because they thought he could not save himself. Let him come down if he can save himself. And yet he chooses to stay up there despite the fact that he could save himself. They implored him to save himself as the son of God. Even as the son of God was saving them. They said, let God rescue him now if he wants him, which I find amazingly ironic. Let God, if he really wants this Jesus, let him save him. And yet he was the son of God, the one whom God loved so much, and he specifically chooses not to save him. The robbers condemned to death heal, uh, cast insults on him, even as he died to save those condemned to die for their wickedness. And so he's saying to them, save yourself, and they mock him, and he dies on their behalf, even as they're mocking him because he's dying, thinking that he can't save himself. Darkness comes over the land, even as the light of salvation is dawning for the world, Jesus cries out, why have you forsaken me? When humankind is actually through that act being brought closer to God. And so it looks as though he's forsaken and in fact is. And he brings humankind close to God in the process. They watched, the text says, to see if the great prophet Elijah would come to save him. When in fact he needed neither Elijah nor anyone else to save him. And he in fact is the one who saves Elijah. They thought they were killing him. But he gives up his own spirit. The curtain, the rocks, the tombs tore, split and broke open. Even as he repairs the breach the break between humankind and God. The Gentile centurion crucifying and guarding Jesus is the one to claim him that he's the son of God. While God's own people who are standing near end up rejecting him. Have you noticed that? That it's a Roman centurion who says at the cross he's the son of God while the Jews standing by reject him. 
Mary is there at his birth. Three Marys, at least, are there at his death. The Son of God received an unheralded burial and was placed then in someone else's tomb, and yet he's the Son of God. And a large stone is rolled in front of the tomb as a barrier to close the tomb, but the stone could not possibly keep this dead man in the tomb. And so they put a stone there thinking, this will do the trick. This will keep someone out. This will keep whatever in. But you can't contain this dead man. And then finally, it's women who were there at the very end. And they are the first to witness resurrection. When society had typically marginalized them. And so typically they had no role, or very little, and here they take a supreme kind of role. Well, those are ironies about the crucifixion. And what strikes me in all of this is just how perfectly God planned it. Who would have imagined that the way that God would save humankind would be to have his own son crucified. Would you have thought of that? Would that have been your plan? Would you have thought, I'll make him lowly and have him killed, even though he's the king and the creator and the ruler of the universe? I would not have thought of that. And so human beings who deserve Absolutely nothing because of their sin. And Kelly, who deserves absolutely nothing because of his sin, ironically, I find myself a child of God. Ironically, I find myself saved in the end. How could this possibly be? There's nothing in me that deserves salvation. There's nothing in you that deserves salvation. And yet, Jesus, through this story, sets all of us free and makes us God's special children. And so today, we celebrate, in many ways, the culmination of God's redemptive story, except for this great act that is going to come at the end. But here we have a high point. A point which I never would have expected had I not been told the end. And I don't think you would have either. But God in his wisdom and his great love has done this through Jesus. It's ironic and amazing. But every word of it is true. Let's pray. Lord, in your wisdom... You have done something that we couldn't do. We wouldn't do it. We wouldn't conceive of it. And yet you did it. And in the process, God, you changed everything about this story that went before. And we had expected glory. And we end up with your son crucified on our behalf. God, forgive our sins. 
and help us to acknowledge the crucifixion of Jesus as exactly, ironically, what we needed. Through Christ we pray. Amen.